With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh yes, hello my friends. Welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. As we always say, Hayden... One o'clock games are trash. The four o'clock games are treasure. They were fantastic. The ending, the 49ers Bengals, Bills Patriots games. We'll get through all of those via the form of power rankings today. How you doing? How's week 14 for you? I'm doing good. The reasons why the the four o'clock window are better is because we get Tony Romo in that four o'clock window and sure. some of the West Coast games and the West Coast, the best coast. We also got Mark Schlereth. That means instant mute. But last week we covered our announcer power rankings and we will never do that again. Who knows who we could work with in the future, Hayden? So let's never do that and put ourselves in that situation ever again. All right. Appreciate everyone who was here. It's a little bit later because of two overtime contests, but we are going to go through this show until we finish it. If you're on replay, watching us on replay, I appreciate you as well. Liking and subscribing. Always does help us out. So you're in the know as soon as we go live on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Be sure because we're about to enter your fantasy football playoffs. This Tuesday's usage show is going to be massive, especially with all the players who filled in for injuries and COVID and everything in between. And we'll get to all of that this Tuesday. All right, here we go. We start off with the power rankings and the team who stays at the top, Hayden Winks. It is. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who in overtime beat our number now 10 team, the Buffalo Bills, 27 to 23. How do we even want to start in this game? Because the MVP favorite still, Tom Brady, 31 of 46, 363, two touchdowns, one of those ending on the final play of the game, a 58 yard lob on a crossing route, his only catch of the game to yes. Brashad Perryman, thanks, Leone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, the, the Bucks there's too many skilled guys that are just dominant. And it's, all of them are big power guys. Like, you don't really see this. Like, nobody's finesse. Gronk, not finesse. Chris Godwin can kind of play both, but he's a power slot. Mike Evans, clearly good. Leonard Fournette runs right over your head. This offensive line has some ass kickers. So, I mean, this team could win with downhill running or bombs away football. So... I don't know. Their their team is looking really good on offense. Their defense today ran out of gas at the end, but the Bills had a lot of plays, a lot of pass plays. They were really threatened the entire game. So I understand that. They're also just getting back to health on the defense. But to yeah. me, the Bucks storyline is this offense, how are we supposed to beat them? That was touchdown number 37 on the year for Tom Brady. 27 to, or excuse me, 24 to three at halftime. I mean, we all thought this game was completely over, and it was how they started it. In fact, that third and five touchdown to Mike Evans earlier on in this contest was an absolute laser beam from a 44-year-old quarterback. They stacked 
Evans and Chris Godwin motioned out someone else. So it became a three by one and against this bills zone defense, which you talked about without their top corner, it allowed Mike Evans to find that little soft spot between the sitting corner and the deep safety. And I mean, so few quarterbacks can make that around the league and where Tom Brady is at right now. And also making things happen on the ground. We needed to, I mean, 16 rushing yards, so odd, a rushing touchdown. Obviously it was just a short plunge, but things he brings to the table. Now, I don't know if I'm going to say it's as good at this moment here in week 14 versus what the team was that won the Super Bowl last year, because that defense is probably a little more dominant, but if somehow they can get that by, which is, I think is really critical for them based on their injuries and the health and the fatigue of the defense, as you alluded to, they certainly have enough to go on and win it. Plus, we haven't even gotten Antonio Brown back, which is going to happen at some point this season. Yeah, the, the first round buy is su- super key, but I think that even if they don't get it, they should still be like co-favorites to yeah. come out of the NFC. I think they're the most complete team in football. I trust their offense. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, what what matchup do you, do you not like against this Bucks offense? Like, if you're blitz heavy, they can figure it out. If you're just a zone defense, cover two, cover three, like cover 53, cover whatever. It doesn't matter. You don't have enough one-on-one uh, matchups to, to cover all three of these three of these receivers, Gronk, everybody. Leonard Fournette, I mean, Leonard Fournette is... yards, 19 carries, and a touchdown for Lenny. Undisputed top three running back for the rest of the way. Undisputed. Like, cannot argue against it. He had yeah. seven targets. Uh, he has about five targets every single game, plus all the goal line work. Giovanni Bernard left with a hip injury. He wasn't even playing that much in the first place. I don't know. Like, I'm struggling to even rank anybody outside of Jonathan Taylor ahead of him. Advance rate, I know, is a term that people love to debate if it's warranted, if it's not. Leonard Fournette's advance rate for teams this year is going to be sky high. It probably might be the number one player out there other than your Cooper Cups and your Depot Samuel. But let's say someone who was drafted outside of the top seven rounds, number one is probably going to be Leonard Fournette. Yeah, the advance rates is weird because like it's um, biased towards like the first and second and third round players. Correct. But if you like get out of it, like you said, past the fifth, sixth round, he's going to have the highest one. Superstars win it. Godwin 105, Mike Evans 91, even Gronk winning after the catch for someone who's been in and out of the lineup this season. And yeah, Leonard Fournette's a superstar on this team. I mentioned it on Twitter. It wasn't just the Jaguars who um, who cut Jacksonville, excuse me, Leonard Fournette last season. Tampa Bay almost did it too. Bruce Arians talked about this during their playoff stretch after the Super Bowl. They almost cut him after week 14. He was in and out, barely playing. And since then, he has been one of the most productive backs in the NFL. And I think you can chalk that up to the surrounding talents, the quarterbacking in the right position, the great offensive line. But he's also just playing better as an individual too. All right. What do we want to talk about with the Buffalo Bills? Because morphing into one of the biggest enigmas in the NFL. We have them at our, as our 10th team in our power rankings. Josh Allen started this game with it fully on his shoulders, as we suggested. Zero carries for running backs in the first half. He ultimately ends it 36 of 54, 308, two touchdowns, and one pick. The second half effort that he put out there is once again the roller coaster that we love watching every single Sunday with 109 rushing yards and a score for Josh Allen. So the big debate is how much do you need to run the ball for defenses to at least be somewhat scared of it? Because you just don't want a bunch of defenders just 
always playing the pass. And the Bills are like one of the first teams ever in NFL history to be toying with that line. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. I, I know that their best run play is with Josh Allen. Like, there's just no debate about that. And you would rather that not be the case. They had Zach Moss as a healthy and active, which was a sign to us that they were just going to come out here passing the ball. But it is a weakness. Like, we don't want the Bills to be running the ball, but the fact that they can't at all is a little bit of a sign that they might not be at the very top of these contender lists. And then the other thing is this defense, like, without Tredavious White, just it gets harder. Like, they played well. They're, they're well coached for the most part. But still, when push to, comes to shove, like this defense in the secondary is like a piece or two away at this point. So um, the AFC is still wide open. They can still win the conference, but um, now they're going to be playing uphill because they're now, I think, the current number seven seed uh, in the playoff picture. You go from a team that was expected to contend for the Super Bowl almost easily win the AFC in terms of the betting market, AFC East, I should say. And then now they're almost on the outside looking in for the entire AFC playoff picture. And I just go back to what the identity of the team is. And I don't want to take anything away from Josh Allen because that's not what the intention here is. But throughout his entire career, as I always say, it's, it's a roller coaster. It's like a pedal to the floor, high variance nature. And so a couple of years ago, that got you, you know, the playoff game against the Houston Texans, gets you other crucial situations where it can go one of two ways. He's been able to like bottle that chaos to become an awesome playmaker and how Brian Dayball has allowed him to create a lot of one-on-one matchups, either with linebackers that are converging on him, defensive linemen, even cornerbacks and wide receivers when he buys some time. Again, he's been able to channel that playmaking ability into something really special. But because of that chaos and, and that uncertainty and the two avenues where it can be positive or negative, I think that leads you into a bit of inconsistencies at time with him more so than maybe other elite quarterbacks that you put in his area. And so while last year was so perfect for so long, this year it's it's gets a, against you know bad matchups, difficult matchups, ones where they shouldn't win or ones that they shouldn't lose. You don't know what you're going to get in those outcomes. And and I think that that's always the fear here. And so regression, I think, has hit them really hard. And especially, you know, in the last few weeks, losing five of eight matchups. When you're a high variance football team like the Bills are in offense, you want to have as many plays as possible if you're a good high variance team. And that's where I wish the Bills in the first half, they got pretty conservative. They kicked that field goal. There was a couple times where they punted the ball near halftime at like the midpoint of the field when they were down all these scores. I think this is the the team that should be super aggressive in all situations because you have the short yardage quarterback. You have the guy on third and 10 that can rip it down the field, a fourth and seven. He can make all those throws. I like this to see this team be super aggressive in all situations. If you're a good team with high variance, increase your sample size so you can get on the positive end of these situations. So I hope the Bills learn from this. Um, once they got really aggressive at the end, things started going in their favor. But I think they they cost themselves some points and some possessions um, in the first half. Yeah, live and die by the sword is is kind of what you're saying. And again, it's all hindsight. But when you're in overtime, you get the ball first. There's obviously a chance for you to have this monumental comeback victory. Fourth and four. I know it's at your own 31. You didn't go for it earlier. 
you stop the other team in the entire second half with just three points that the Bucs were able to put out there. So I understand not going for it there. But again, what you're saying is Sean McDermott has some innate nature, despite all of these playmakers on the opposite on his roster with Allen and Diggs and Dawson Knox and how tired the other defense was lean into it a bit more. That's something that you have to think of heading into a game. And it's so uncertain. And I'll say that even Sean McDermott's kind of going through it at the moment. I don't know if you saw or heard what he said at halftime where the sideline reporter mentioned that he was searching for words to explain what happened there in the first half. They found a little bit of their mojo that was based in, you know, 2020 and earlier on the season, but it could be a dicey rest of the way here for, for the Buffalo bills. One quick fantasy note, Emmanuel Sanders left with a knee injury. Obviously that's good news for Gabe Davis for the most part. It also helps out the target shares of a Dawson Knox, a Cole Beasley. So that's something to be monitoring. I don't know if it's a serious injury or not. Closing thoughts here, Tampa Bay, what a weekend we get for MVP. We get this game. We get Sunday Night Football, which is happening right now with Aaron Rodgers. Then we get Kyler Murray on Monday night. This will be a big deciding weekend, I think, as well. And then for the Buffalo Bills, their upcoming schedule in the hopes of making the playoffs, Carolina Panthers, New England Patriots, Atlanta Falcons, and New York Jets. Three very winnable games out of four. And that would take him to a 10 and seven record to end it. All right. Number two team and three. We won't go too deep. Arizona Cardinals, Green Bay Packers. They're neck and neck here in our rankings. And I don't know about you, but for me, at the very least, these games on Sunday night and Monday night are going to decide where they slot behind the Bucs. Is there any chance for you that they move on all the way up to number one? No, I think the Bucs are too good, but these teams could easily win it all. I think these are the second and third best teams, maybe a slight tier ahead of the Chiefs, but the Chiefs certainly closing that gap. Um, very curious to see how the Cardinals handle their business against the Rams on Monday night. Yeah, obviously a much more difficult opponent the Arizona Cardinals do in comparison to the Packers and the Bears, but I also put out there that the Cardinals are the much, much, much healthier team right now than what the Packers are. But there's a lot of time left. All right, team four. The Kansas City Chiefs dominate the Las Vegas Raiders for the second time this season, 48 to 9. A pregame stomping of the opposition's logo was the best moment that the Raiders put out there in this game. The process, as we alluded to for Patrick Mahomes, going nuclear against the Raiders, it was so on the table. But in the end, he was only needed for around three quarters 20 of 24, 258, and two touchdowns. An early defensive touchdown, and again, a complete team effort and dominant one for the Chiefs. Leave us now as a team that we view as complete Hayden, which is very different than in the past. The defense is way better. The Melvin Ingram trade was ridiculous. They gave up a six-round pick, and they're paying him less than $600,000 this year. And it's like kind of multiple things kicking the year. Chris Jones goes back on the inside. Frank Clark actually had a good game. Seems like he's a little bit healthier. Um, they're always well coached in the secondary and they have some big play guys, but the, the Raiders just kept fumbling the ball. They had four fumbles here. That was the difference uh, of why Patrick Mahomes only had to throw the ball 24 times. I don't have the eight on front of front of me right now, but I can tell you just by watching this game that it was way down the field all the time. So um, there's a couple plays to Tyreek Hill that were just incomplete. And I'm, I'm talking about like, 40 50 yard throw so this was like classic Patrick Mahomes scramble around the pocket 
hold up, throw the ball across the field all the way to Tyreek Hill for big pickups. It was that type of game. Um, I'd like to see this against a different type of defense. Obviously, this Raiders team is really struggling, but this was like the type of team win where it was undeniable the Chiefs were going to win this game about six minutes in, and that was exactly (laughs) what the Chiefs needed. Yeah, again, previous stat lines for Patrick Mahomes and all wins. Last week against the Broncos, just 184 yards, 260 against the Cowboys, 166 against the Packers when they faced off against Jordan Love. And then you put these two games together for the Raiders. 406 in the first contest, 258. That easily could have been 358, heck, even 458 if they wanted it to be. We got to see backyard. And again, I want to point out why the difference is. 28 snaps in the first game, and we'll probably bring this up in the usage show midweek. 28 snaps in the first contest against the Raiders where that defense played single high. Patrick Mahomes is going to attack you vertically. He's going to attack you downfield. The rest of the league is switching to contain defenses against these top quarterbacks. The Raiders can't do that. One, because of personnel. Two, they're not teaching it. So you get him unleashed. And so at least we now know, Hayden, that in these opportunities where he does have that possibility, he still has it in him, which is great, which is absolutely great. Um, The running game, we've seen Clyde Edwards-Elair come back. It only needed three carries here today. Excuse me, three receptions here today, but 10 carries. Derek Gore ends as the leading rusher, but that was, you know, a 51-yarder, all in garbage time. Yeah, Travis Kelsey, not even necessary. I don't know if there's really anything we can dive into here other than what you pointed out with the fumbles. Tyron Matthew, Armani Watts, Mike Hughes, and Juan Thornhill all had fumble recoveries here today. The fantasy note I had, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a good game between the tackles. His touchdown on the run where he had to bounce it out and he had to get low. That was like the classic difference between CH and Daryl Williams. Uh, CH, though, only ran a route on 38% of the routes with the first-team offense. The splits are going to be kind of weird from this game because the starters didn't play in the fourth quarter, but 38% of the routes on the first-team defense, that's because Daryl Williams was the third down back. Daryl Williams' touchdown was on a third and three, a wheel route wide open. Travis Kelsey did a great job of, of cleaning that thing up, so... It's going to be a split, but we know in this explosive offense, CH still has touchdown upside as like a boom bust RB2. But yeah, it was just a game where like it happens. Like some of the elite teams, they're too elite. And they, just, yeah, and they just can't get there. So that's what happened with Travis Kelsey with the, with the targets. That 38-yard strike that Patrick Mahomes threw, he was actually traveling five and a half miles per hour to his left as he was unloading the football to the right far hash. Again, a throw not many across the league can make. And since week eight, this is one of the best defenses in the NFL. One of the top three, four, five units by all measurements. One of the best defenses in the NFL. So I understand why we have them after the Cardinals and the Packers because they have yet to play. Hayden, is there how big is the gap for you between the Bucks and the Chiefs? Because that is the number one team in the NFC. And right now, the Chiefs for us is the number one team in the AFC. It's pretty low. And the the power rank is like a weird thing, because if I was looking at just odds to get to the Super Bowl, I like the Chiefs odds better than the Cardinals and Packers because the rest of the AFC is so weak. Um, So like when we're talking about like best ball playoffs, it's like depends on like what discussion, like straight up in the Super Bowl matchup. Like, who do I like? I like all these teams about the same. I wouldn't put the point spread too big either way i think no matter what i would want the bucks to be favored i think they're a couple points better than the rest of the league but everybody else is pretty close at the top all right 
Anything we want to say about the Raiders? I know, Hayden. You have to. This was the worst moment of your weekend. You drop the Las Vegas Raiders all the way from the 13th team, I believe, down to the 23rd team. Pour one out. This team is done. Team is done, though. Darren Waller did not practice this entire week. I don't know what his injury was. It was supposed to be not a big injury, but they can't move the ball without him. So this defense was always holding on for dear lives. Uh, they lost in the last two months their play caller, their downfield stretch, their over-the-middle guy. So all that's left right now, it's two guys. It's Hunter Renfro, who's absolutely playing out of his mind. He was the wide receiver 22 in fantasy usage coming into this game, and then he pops off for 14 targets, catches 13 of them for 117 yards on his touchdown. His touchdown, like we need to start putting some more respect on Hunter Renfro, routed him up. There's no getting away around it. Like he routed him up. He's better than what we think he is. And I don't know what we're supposed to say, like when it comes to fantasy rankings with him, because if this defense is garbage, which it is outside of the pass rushers, right. And they have nobody else to throw the ball to like, is that not the perfect blueprint for Hunter Renfro? I mean, Derek Carr does not want to rip the ball downfield because he doesn't have enough time. And he has like, who's he going to throw to Zay Jones? Like Hunter Renfro is going to be what, like a top 15 wide receiver. If Darren Waller's out again, it's, it's getting to that point. I, I mentioned to you, I have one dynasty team with a bunch of old Roto world fo- folks. You're young. So you, you don't get to qualify for it, just old people. And my team is not good. I have Jonathan Taylor, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. and it's a single quarterback team, Javante Williams. And my number one wide receiver is it's freaking Hunter Renfro, and I'm balling. I'm on a 10-game winning streak because of it. I mean, Derek Carr throws the ball 45 times. You mentioned it. 14 of those targets went directly to Hunter Renfro. The next closest wide receiver was seven to Zay Jones. 117 yards on 13 receptions. Again, I mentioned how many attempts Derek Carr has in 45, only to get 263 yards out of it. And his intended air yards per attempt was only above Taysom Hill. In week 14, it has morphed. It has morphed back into what we didn't love about Derek Carr. And then it makes me think as his team, again, drawing dead, basically the rest of the way this season, how are they going to replace players that allowed them to change who they were this season and why it gave them so much early offensive success? And I'm, you know, naming Henry Ruggs there without him. And I understand without Darren Waller, too. But that is such a pivotal part of what made them so good early. And that's not just a plug and play. Oh, let's easy find it because it's not like Ruggs played that during his rookie year. I mean, it was his second year. We started to emerge there and it was Nelson Aguilar during that first season. Yeah, it's really hard to like separate what Derek Carr is doing recently versus like his environment. His environment is not very good. The offensive line is not good. And these downfield guys just cannot get open. So super tough. Um Josh Jacobs, though, he is getting the bell cow workload, even in this game. I know it didn't like look all that pretty in the box score, but the fact that he got six targets again is good news. He ran a route on almost uh, like 60-70% of the dropbacks. He is going to be in that upside RB2 mix for the rest of the season. Again, after a four and three, excuse me, even a three and four start for the Kansas City Chiefs, they're on a heater. Six straight wins. Not easy to close at the Chargers, home against the Steelers, at the Bengals, and at the Broncos. So while they're first in the AFC West at the moment, there's still some ways to go here for our top AFC seed. That is the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, we mentioned 
At number two, we have the Arizona Cardinals. At number five, we have the LA Rams. Cannot wait to watch them on Monday Night Football. Quickly, your top observation that you can't wait to see between the two. To me, it's like how much of the identity is Sony Michelle going to be for this team? And how much are they going to switch away from what they did in week 13 with the heavy personnel? Or is that how Sean McVay wants to you know, diagram his offense for the final five, six weeks of the season? Yeah, I think it's formations. Like last week, they used the second tight end a little bit more than we're used to. So I think that's kind of a, a, a sign that it could be a, a little minor um, identity change. If you were picking between the to run the ball or pass the ball on the Cardinals, the beginning part of the season, that's where the Cardinals were really struggling against the run. I think that's maybe what we're going to see here early on, but we'll see how um, how long that could last. Obviously, you can only run the ball in the Cardinals' high-paced offense so much. Number six for us, the Dallas Cowboys. It's tough to put them up this high when considering Hayden if the like early season, week four, week five, Dallas Cowboys were out there. They'd be an even better team than what Dallas is on the field right now. But you're starting to see glimpses and glimmers of it. Against Washington in week 14, Dallas wins 27 to 20. Again, that brings them to nine and four on the season. And at halftime, I believe it was 24 to nothing. 24 to nothing. So the scoreboard of 27 to 20 gets much closer in the end based on really the Cowboys giving them the entire second half. Ezekiel Elliott barely played in the third quarter. And what we got early on was Zeke getting 12 carries for 45 yards and then Dak and company making some plays, but the biggest difference here, and even in years past, it's the type of playmakers that the Dallas Cowboys have defensively. I'll get to them in a moment, but Randy Gregory, Micah Parsons making unreal individual efforts is what separates this team from the previous ones. And why I still have a lot of faith in them moving forward, because the further away we get from this Dak calf strain, the closer we might get to the offense really matching what the defense is putting on the field right now. The Cowboys had five sacks. They came from Randy Gregory, who just got back. Neville Gallimore, who I think this was his first game this entire season, their defensive tackle. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence got one and then two from Micah Parsons. So um, these guys are coming out of out of nowhere. It's been a little bit since we've seen this type of pass rush. And that just adds to like some of the the defensive uh, back play. Like Trevon Diggs has a higher chance of getting some uh, interceptions when they're able to rush the passer like this. So um, I, I think this is more of a stance on what the potential of this team is going to be, because I think both you and I could admit that Dak Prescott the last couple of weeks, it's been, it's been a little iffy. I don't know yep. what it is exactly. He's missing some throws just with accuracy, uh, a couple pretty dumb decisions after playing like quite frankly, one of like the top three, top four quarterbacks in the first uh, half of the season. He has not been that guy. Zeke Elliott clearly has not been that guy. Um, Tony Pollard's still out, but hopefully in three weeks from now, a little bit of health, uh, on the offense. And then all of a sudden this team has a, a, a pass rush plus, a a run game and a passing game. I can't tell you exactly what it is because it's not like he's, you know, under duress constantly with Dak. I mean, an interception that he threw early, he tried to throw it over Jamin Davis, find a soft spot between the linebackers and the safeties and just airmailed it directly into the safety's lap. And then the pick six that he threw later, it looked like he didn't even see Cole Holcomb. And it was kind of an yep. extended play that he held on for way, way, way too long. And those are just mistakes that you you can't have. And again, when we do see him mobile and moving in the past, 
He could have gone out there and, and created some yards with his feet. Now he just kind of looks hobbled and slower and a bit more lethargic. So I, as much as he's practicing and it doesn't even come up, it seems like in questions, these calf strains, we have seen sour many performances across the league, not just at the quarterback position, but other, other positions. And so I'm glad they're winning. They're finding different ways to win. And again, it only gives me hope and optimism that they can hit on all strides when it matters most here in the playoffs. Two things to note, Tyron Smith limped off in the third quarter with a knee ankle injury. It didn't look that pretty to me. He was able to like kind of limp off the field. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was a uh, an injury that lingers just beyond this week. Uh, Zeke Elliott, he played 64% of the snaps, which you might think is good. But a lot of that was like pass protection and like just some like routes to the flats. It was clear that when they were like trying to run the ball, it was a clear committee between him and Corey Clement. Even without Pollard back, they know that he's banged up. So they're choosing not to let him take a full week off. But until that happens, even if the snaps are there, they might be like snaps to get him on the field and like help with pass protection, but not to like really use them. So I think he's going to be more of an RB2. You can still luck into touchdowns, but he's going to be very volatile. couple things. CD gets seven catches for 61. Michael Gallup, five for 60. Amari Cooper, five for 51. They all kind of played their role perfectly. I want to add that third quarter is basically a throwaway. It really felt like Mike McCarthy believed this game was over and they didn't push the like gas to the floor at all. They could have had many more opportunities there. Um, but all three of those wide receivers playing their role, that's another small section of the season that we haven't seen for even six games, even five games, all of them on the field at the same time. And I do want to bring up this play that Micah Parsons made because it's not as if He's acting and having to play just as your typical edge rusher, like when Demarcus Lawrence has missed time, like when Randy Gregory missed time. Instead, here you get to line him as like a middle of the field linebacker, have him blitz off, and I believe 75 is Brandon Sheriff, off his right shoulder, and just the bend and explosion that he brings to the table, it's so difficult for a offensive guard who is going to be heavier footed, even though Sheriff is one of the most athletic guards in the league, to stay in front of him. And then plus the bend and the mobility that he brings to run over and send Taylor Heineke to another dimension. And then Durant's Armstrong picks us up. And that wasn't the only play. The Randy Gregory one where he there's one tip, then he tips it to himself and then grabs it. I'm so glad that we are seeing those pieces because they are – pretty heavy investments for that team. And it shows, and we've also seen, you know, Trevon Diggs do that earlier in the year. I really like the Cowboys. They're a fun team to watch every single week. Okay. I guess we need to talk about Washington football team as well. Cause they're, they're close to being done here. They're close to being F Hayden 23rd in our power rankings. Scott Turner made a comment earlier in the week when asked about how his philosophy and offense had changed where they became a run first team. And he said, Oh, that's pretty easy to do much easier to do when you're winning. Well, when you're down 24 to nothing at halftime, you force Taylor Heineke to look more like, I don't know, Jeff Garcia than who he wants to channel in Brett Favre. And we saw a lot of that today. He had negative seven yards on 14 dropbacks going into halftime. So this game was over. Uh, Cam Sims made an excellent grab in the back of the end zone uh, that basically saved his day or the Washington's day in general. Uh, But big news out of here, Terry McLaurin, he goes into the concussion protocol earlier uh, we don't know if he's going to be back for next week. Even with that happening, Curtis Samuel only ran around on seven dropbacks. 
So it's basically an offense where it's, they're going to get like a bunch of wide receivers involved. None of them are going to be good. Ricky Seals not going to be good. They're using John Bates. It's basically an offense that's going to come down to just Antonio Gibson, and that's it for fantasy if Terry McLaurin's out. And the problem with Antonio Gibson is he had a, a pass protection issue yep. uh, that led to a sack. And then he had a sixth fumble of the year, which is the most among any running back. And they kind of benched him. Uh, I need to rewatch this game, but it, it, it seemed like they benched him after that. So lots of things to sort out here, but it's, it's, it's an offense that just like center. It's a four string center. The right tackle still out. There's a lot of, a lot of issues here all of a sudden. He's had brutal fumbles this year. He's had other ones inside the red zone when they're driving. But again, since the bye, he almost ran perfect. And then today it popped up once again. I think you said it was the sixth lost one, maybe 10th overall. And that's still worst in the league at the moment. That is, uh, that's rough stuff. And yeah. Taylor Heineke is the type that we talk about with confidence, that we talk about it with his style, that when everything's going well, some of those outside of structure plays where he climbs the pocket, lobs it up. Oh, it's a beautiful play. Oh, that's a highlight reel. And then when it goes so poorly like this, when he's under constant duress and not being able to reset, his arm gets a little bit weaker and then he leaves his wide receivers out to dry. Now that was a Terry McLaurin one who he tries to elevate over two Cowboys defensive backs to get. And then somehow Cam Sims mosses Trevon Diggs for the other touchdown. But that's, you know, where over a third of his production from the day in Taylor Heineke came from. Taylor Heineke's highlight reel is fun to watch. Actually watching the full game of Taylor Heineke is not as fun. That's my <laughs> official take. I am monitoring the Tyron Smith injury because that's a big difference maker. That's a huge difference maker for this team. So we'll monitor that as we go along this week. All right. So there's our sixth and 23rd teams in Dallas and Washington. Number seven on a bye this week, the New England Patriots. We have not seen them since they attempted just three passes. But we know the strength of their team. And that's going to be a fun watch in the next three to four weeks. Number eight, Hayden. Also big winners today. And more than the scoreboard indicates, 37 to 21 over the New York Giants. That is the Los Angeles Chargers. Another team that seems to be rounding into form at the perfect time. And to me, the difference, you can talk about defense, stopping the rushing attack. And yes, while... So much of it was in the second half. 135 yards seems like a lot, but none of it was when it mattered for the Giants. But most importantly, this coaching staff and Justin Herbert know that when he needs to unleash the football or wants to unleash the football or when things are open, it is one of the more game-changing players and plays in the league that no one is stopping over these last few weeks, even without Keenan Allen today. Their ceiling is just so high. Like I don't know how to say it. I know it's been frustrating at times, but this, like both sides of the ball, pretty young. It's a new system on both sides of the ball. Shouldn't we expect the best of the Chargers to come later in the season? Like, wouldn't that make sense? Young quarterback, a lot of young, like young left tackle, and a brand new system that, like, may, maybe in December and January they like worked out the kinks, and all of a sudden this team has a really high ceiling. So I think that's where we're at. Um, it sounds like this Austin Eckler injury. Uh, Brandon Staley after the game said that he could have gone back in if he needed to. They do play on Thursday and it is an ankle sprain. Those things could flare up. So that would be a huge difference. I think they play the chiefs on Thursday night football. Um, but this team has the pieces like Derwin James didn't play today, but they got a big game out of Joey Bosa. They've they they got Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton to step up here. So like, this team has 
like the key ingredients to be an underrated playoff team. And I think they're legit contenders. It's been very inconsistent, but man, like that Justin Herbert throw, like I mean, we beyond, ridiculous, beyond ridiculous. Beyond, We got to break this down. Okay. It's a three by one with Jared Cook, Jalen Guyton, and Josh Palmer to one side. Mike Williams, I stood on the other. It is too high. I mean, it is two deep safeties and you're about to see this. And it's decent disruption that 59 gets on Rashawn Slater here at left tackle. But again, what Justin Herbert is able to do as he rolls to his right, sees Jalen Guyton splitting the two safeties down the middle. He is throwing this from his own 35-yard line, and the ball, with unreal trajectory, lands at the one-yard line. No one else you see across the league every single Sunday makes throws like this. It is one of the best throws I have ever seen. Plain and simple. And the question is going to be, well, how did you know they compensate for the loss of, of Keenan Allen this week? Hayden, I think when you go back and rewatch this game, you're going to like how they used Mike Williams. They asked him to win a bit more in tight quarters, off the line of scrimmage, slants, drags. I bet, and we'll get to it, I'm sure, this week, his A dot was a bit lower, and that's great. Then you get Josh Palmer kind of as a big slot in the short intermediate area and Jalen Guyton over the top. I think the point that you made where we would expect them to be a late season surge on both sides of the ball, it really is hitting here. And they are one of the most fun teams as we sit here in week 14 in the league. Yeah. I, the ceiling just too high to be doubting them. So I'll, I'll ride with the waves. I'll get dunked on when, when Mike Williams has a bad game, people will be <laughs> mad at me when, uh, he gets blitzed a million times in a row, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep riding this thing out. A couple of things. Austin Eckler did leave for a few moments in this game. It was an ankle injury on what appeared to be like a very, very normal tackle. I know Brandon Staley after the contest said that, Oh, we could have put Austin back in if we needed to. Justin Jackson became the player that saw more touches. If that is, you know, a direction we have to go in here later on. But yeah, I mean, Herbert 275 yards, three scores. Jalen Guyton, 87 yards in a score. Josh Palmer, 66 yards in a score. And then Mike Williams gets his six for 61. If Justin Herbert does not turn the football over, if this offensive line, and especially at right tackle with Storm Norton and whoever else is out there, doesn't you know give up sack fumbles early on, this is exactly why a quarterback who is a top five talent in the league separates himself and what he can, you know, elevate the people around him once you get in the one and done scenarios of the playoffs and with the AFC in kind of a turmoil in comparison to the NFC where anyone can win. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it. All right. We'll jump on over the New York giants quickly. Very little. We need to say about them. Saquon did get 16 carries for 64 yards. He did add 31 yards and a touchdown in the air. Had an awesome juke against a cornerback in the open field. Other than that, I mean, it was 36 attempts for Mike Glennon. His biggest play was a 60-yarder over the middle of the field to Kyle Rudolph, who somehow picked up about 30 yards after the catch. And those are the highlights, Aiden. Those are the highlights here for the Giants. You can start Saquon as an RB2. You can't start anybody else from this offense. Yeah. I was a bit disappointed. Sterling Shepard only saw his first catch in this game in the middle of the third quarter. So despite being healthy after missing multiple weeks, it ended with just four targets, two receptions, and 27 yards. Next up, Indianapolis Colts, also on a bye. They're our number nine team. We talked about the Buffalo Bills at number 10. So let's jump now 
in overtime also. The San Francisco 49ers are 11 team and the Cincinnati Bengals at number 12 with the 49ers winning today on the road 26 to 23. Where should we start here? What stood out to me? The superstar that George Kittle has shown us he is once again over the last two weeks. Today, 15 targets, 13 receptions, 151 yards, and a score. And I know that they didn't win in regulation, but what he set them up for in a potential game-winning field goal was such a big difference. I mean, on second down, Jimmy throws, again, a cover-one robber situation with Jesse Bates flying into the middle of the field, staring down his wide receivers. It should have been an interception, which should have pushed that game to overtime much earlier. And then on a third and 10 call, forces George Kittle to extend completely and like a much smaller wide receiver instead of the best edge setting tight end in the league, George Kittle makes a play and he does it after the catch. He's the security blanket when there's an extra rusher and he sits down in the middle of the field. Again, we've missed it really for the last two years, but what George Kittle is doing again is showing us he has a chance to be in the running for one of the best skill vision players in the league. Yeah, with Travis Kelsey kind of taking a little bit of a turn down and George Kittle clearly healthy, I think it's he's back. Best tight end in the NFL. That was not the case for a little bit of there, but he's back. The receiving work is incredible. They use Debo Samuel, more of that hybrid role, eight carries to one target. That is the type of usage that if you have Brandon Ayuk or George Kittle, you like to see because they got 15 or 11 targets. Um, but really, this was just a game where it was primarily yards after the catch and like that's just how this offense you don't is say. built but i mean it, that's just playing to the strengths it's like hard to hold that against kyle shanahan or jimmy no. g and stuff like you yes. have to just check the ball down to these guys and let them go crazy because debo samuel you can't tackle him george Kelly can't tackle him same thing with brandon Ayuk. okay you, you can't convince me that with a quarterback who can throw outside the numbers, they wouldn't throw more outside the numbers. I think this is how you have to play this. And I do believe that Cal Shanahan's uh, critical factors when looking for players is yards after the catch. We have outlined that with Brandon Ayuk and Debo and George Kittle, how they're all always every single year, top 15, top 10 in their position and after the catch. And what's crazy here, a few things, Debo didn't get to touch the football nearly as much or play nearly as much as he has in the past. But we see this run every single freaking week from the 49ers, and they're able to have success with it. These outside-the-number runs for Debo once he gets to the edge, it's their only plays outside the numbers here. And how does it work? Well, it's because you have George Kittle here who can take out a run-stuffing defensive end and Sam Hubbard like he's an extra offensive tackle, which then allows for a pulling guard to get out in front and take down a cornerback and take down a defensive back. So again, the edge is completely sealed here by George Kittle. And when it becomes a wall, then that gives Debo the edge. And then he's able to read his blocks and rather than cut back inside, really use them with some patience and some burst and some explosiveness to then score a touchdown off of it. I'm just amazed. Like every single time you see these next gen charts for carries, it's always long runs to the right for Debo. And that's where their strength is 100%. He outruns every single defensive back. Like they always take the wrong route. Like it just, it's insane. He just faster than what everyone thinks he is or something. I, don't, I can't explain the Debo stuff, but every single time he touches the ball, he's breaking one of my models. So um, very curious to see how this is going to go down the end. Uh, if Eli Mitchell comes back, I'm guessing they're not going to use Debo Samuel in this role. 
Um, and then he's going to go back to wide receiver and that's going to affect the target shares of all these guys. But I think this offense has proven to be pretty efficient when Jimmy G is healthy. And um, that's the case. It's not always pretty like that. Uh, the game winning drive in overtime, I was a lot of just like eight yard throw, 10 yard throw, six yard throw, yards after the catch, dink and dunk all the way down the field. But I mean, that's to me playing to the strengths of the the skill guys in, in this group. Yep. Won four of their last five closing the season with the Falcons, the Titans, the Texans, and the Rams here for the 49ers who are now third in the NFC West at seven and six. I think this is a really good regular season offense. I think that's what Jimmy G can be is a regular season quarterback, but we just mentioned the differences between him and maybe other than the Patriots, every single quarterback that's ranked ahead of them. And we can throw Mills in there too, but you have Josh Allen, you have Justin Herbert, you have Dak Prescott, you have Matthew Stafford, you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Aaron Rodgers, you have Kyler Murray, you have Tom Brady. I mean, I know I talk about this every single week, but that's such the difference to me between what this team is versus who they are trying to topple in front and why they you know, invested so much on a quarterback that they clearly don't think is ready. But maybe we'll see that in 2022. So on the Bengals end, because Joe Burrow made some unreal throws himself. Trey Hendrickson went down for the Bengals. And after that, they did have some issues trying to get to Jimmy Garoppolo. But, you know, you talk about this game. It was such a narrow, narrow win, 26 to 23. On the Bengals end, you had two muff punts by Darius Phillips. You had Zach Taylor get super conservative on fourth and twos, fourth and ones, elect for field goals instead of attempting to go. For, and they were 38-yard field goal, a 23-yard field goal. Then later on, when I believe down 17 to six, something like that on a third and fourth and five, instead of taking that field goal, he tries to ask his playmakers to, to make something happen out of nothing. And Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase deliver it for you. So that brings me to maybe what we said about a team earlier on in the Buffalo Bills, that when you have so much investment in these skill players with T Higgins and chase and Mixon and Joe Burrow. Why can't you understand that maybe your best Avenue is to live and die by what they can do in fourth quarters and fourth downs rather than just, you know, selling for field goals and saying, well, we want to play a close game until we can win it in the end. Is that a fair criticism? Do you think they need to play faster and pass the ball more? Like this is so obvious to literally everybody else in America, except for Zach Taylor, they're, they're bottom five in neutral pass rate and neutral pace over the last month. And it's so frustrating because if they wanted to use Joe Mixon as a pass catcher out of the backfield, he can do it. Like he can definitely do that. So in the first half, they used Joe Mixon a ton. Mixon averaged 3.2 yards per carry. And then in overtime and when they were chasing points, it was a lot of throwing and it was super successful. And Jamar Chase could have even had a bigger game if he would have caught that one pass that he barely dropped in the end zone too. So this team, like T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon as a pass catcher, like please just start being more aggressive already. Like Joe, Joe Burrow's fine back there. He he's scrambling outside of the pocket. That's how he had one of his touchdowns was doing that. Let this team cook like enough already with this slow pace run heavy nonsense. Like this team is better than that. Yeah, again, the muff punts are absolute killers, and Darius Phillips is typically a very, very good returner. But two fourth and ones, a fourth and two, two of those, you know, 
field goals of less than than 40 yards. It's not just what happens in the fourth quarter that's the difference. You know, it's not just like that late Jamar Chase drop or, you know, only scoring what a was it a field goal in overtime? No, they didn't even score a field goal. The 49ers were just able to to go ahead and 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 win the game. No, they had a field um, goal. They had a field goal. They did have a field goal. Okay. Uh it starts in the first half. I mean, down 10-6. If you convert those fourth and ones and fourth and twos, and we've talked about this with the Chargers, we've talked about this with the Chargers in games where they were aggressive and converting their fourth downs, it ultimately ends and wins. It ends and wins. And so when you have so much investment, you and I are saying the exact same thing. This has to be a priority and it's going to be 100% on my radar heading into 2022 for them. 100%. Minnesota Vikings at 13 played on a wild and crazy Thursday night football game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. This team, why they can't rank higher for me, Hayden, is because they have so many defensive struggles at the moment in terms of pieces. But the Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook dynamic is absolutely one of the best in the league. This team's so frustrating. They are like classic. Do not want to see them in the wild card run because they can get hot for one game. But yeah, you can't trust them beyond that. Uh, they might have a top five wide receiver and top five running back. It's pretty, pretty insane. We do have the Pittsburgh Steelers who are a headache for another reason at 21. I think we saw the best and worst of what could be with Ben Roethlisberger. I'm more interested in what certain skill players are going to look like differently with a different quarterback out there. So Deontay as a possession receiver in terms of creating separation, sustaining it, winning at multiple levels, but he's not going to you know, live in the short to intermediate area. I don't think as much. Chase Claypool is a contested catch wide receiver. His opportunities are limited right now because if he's not the primary read based on coverage, he's almost certainly not getting the football because as we've talked about, if you're not the primary, Ben's not going to really look in your direction. And then there's Najee Harris who is being stuffed over and over and over again. And while volume is king, volume is certainly not turning into very much right now for Najee. In fantasy, it is though, but it is. Yeah, it's a totally different. Yeah, I'm, totally I'm, different. I'm saying discussion. from like a win-loss column of helping yes. them into victories. Yes, it's yeah. The, the big thing is like how much could they trust Chase Claypool? Because to me, he's their best skill position guy, but he's so frustrating to watch. And obviously, we had that celebration issue. There was some missed blocks that he had. He had that uh, taunting penalty. So there's a lot going on with Chase Claypool, but. When push comes to shove, I mean, that dude looks ridiculous out there. And he had a, a pretty big game, eight for 93 on nine targets, despite not even playing the entire game because he was benched momentarily. So, um, yeah, I would love to see Chase Claypool with a downfield thrower, but who knows what the Steelers are going to be able to do at quarterback because this draft apparently stinks at quarterback, and I'm sure they don't have that much money. So, uh, who knows? Tennessee Titans sit here at 14 for us, and this is a huge jump for you, all the way up to number 12 in your power rankings. Is this mainly because of the Sunday morning reports that we should get Derrick Henry for the playoffs. This is a forward-thinking show, Hayden, with you and the Titans. Yeah, so this is like impossible to rank. I'm viewing this like for the next five weeks. How do I view them? And eventually they'll get A.J. Brown back. Julio is back, part-time role for Julio. I think he had like a 60 routes. He didn't have that big of a game, but they weren't threatened at all. The Titans' pass rush can kind of get after it. So as long as they get a couple of the skill guys back, eventually this team should be totally fine. So... Uh, for like maybe like the next week, I would have them lower than where I rank them. But like three weeks from now, I think that this is going to be like pretty appropriately ranked. 
Titans win 20 to nothing against the Jacksonville Jaguars. All they need for Brian Tannehill was 191 yards. As you mentioned, 33 of that went to Julio Jones. They still don't have much of a passing game. Um, he was also sacked four times against the Jaguars, who did not have Josh Allen. As we keep talking about, this team is much better run blocking than they are as pass protectors. And for that run blocking, Deontay Foreman, we weren't exactly sure where the running back touches would be divvied up here. Foreman gets 13. Jerry McNichols gets eight carries. Dontre Hilliard gets six carries. So it looks like moving forward, if this is your cup of tea, Deontay Foreman, who also got two carries, is the one who's going to get the most volume. They had five players have at least three targets. Three of them were tight ends. Like this offense is just like so different than every single. I mean, it's like low A dot throws basically. So they really do need AJ AJ Brown back really bad or a healthy Julio Jones. So uh, we'll see. They got a couple weeks to figure that out. Still the number two team in the AFC right now. That gap gets even bigger with the Baltimore Ravens losing. It's the Steelers, it's the 49ers, it's the Dolphins over the next three weeks for the Titans, who more or less are pretty much locked into the AFC playoffs. The big question is if they can hold off the Indianapolis Colts who are surging ahead of them to, again, continue to lock up that first place in the AFC South. All the way at the bottom, close to it. 29 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Good old Urban Meyer here checks in on the list. Questions about Trevor Lawrence. Questions about everything else. Hayden, this is one of the worst environments you can see. We have talked endlessly about the coaching decisions that Urban Meyer has made with James Robinson, with his running back group. It came out in a Tom Pelissero report since then that those directives came straight from the head coach who then deflected them as any bad coach would when you're losing, saying that they were the position coach's faults. And now we get here in the post game where he's instantly asked, well, what's going on? What's wrong? And he said, I am minimizing the context here said that what's going on is all my coaches are leaking things to the media. This guy just loves to point the finger and not pull the thumb here. Hayden. Yeah. He likes to really point that finger around as we've seen multiple <laughs> times throughout this off season. Yeah. He just, he's just the worst man. He's the worst. So he needs to get fired. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens on Monday. Um, but yeah, he's, he's adios. It's hard. It's like getting hard to like pull apart. How much is this Trevor Lawrence's fault versus the offensive line through four interceptions today. I think we can pretty much just kind of punt this tape, his rookie tape. When like we're doing offseason research, like I don't know what we're supposed to take away from this. Uh, James Robinson, real quick, because this is like a big storyline coming into the week. He played 64% of the snaps. He got six carries for four yards, and he didn't have a target. So squeaky I mean, wheel. Goodness. Squeaky wheel. Uh, I'm going to be so more into Trevor Lawrence than just about anyone this summer. I'm already calling it. I'm, I'm still such a big believer, but this offensive line's a mess too. But there's plenty of time this entire offseason. To talk about that one. All right. We hit on our number 14 team. Let's go to 15. Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos today. A fantastic performance against the Detroit Lions. If I can find this game. Uh, we elected by choice to not watch a single second of it. 38 to 10. But what we do get in the end are two touchdowns for Melvin Gordon on 111 rushing yards. And then also two touchdowns for Javante Williams, who had 83 total yards. Everyone wins. 
Everyone wins, Hayden. Except the pass catchers. They didn't win. Uh, but yeah, Melvin Gordon started. He got the first like six carries, got him down to the red zone, and then Javante Williams scores the first touchdown. It continues to be a rotation. I think it was, I don't have the snaps in front of me, but I'm guessing it's a 60-40 split in front of Melvin Gordon, the same as it was before. When they have massive leads, we know that this team is just going to keep running the ball over and over again, and they're effective. It's not just Javante that's good. Melvin Gordon is also good. So I think both of them are going to be RB2s kind of depending on the matchup, but we at least know that the Broncos, they want to run the ball. Like There's no denying that even with how good their skill group guys are, they still want to run the ball. I I think that Tim Patrick left this game, so that's something to monitor. Obviously, that would be good news for Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, who had one catch here. Yeah. I think if the Broncos strike out on Russell Wilson, if they strike out on Aaron Rodgers, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they bring back Teddy as their quarterback next year. I think they're going to get Russ or Rodgers. I think everything else is too good. I think the organization's clean. They got the right defensive pieces. They definitely got the offensive pieces. I feel like out of all the landing spots, if there's like the Panthers or this, like, I don't know how you can even like you would clearly pick or the giants or the saints. Like, give me, give me the Broncos. The Detroit Lions sit here at 30 for us. Uh, their season ended in week 13. Uh, Jared Goff today, 215, one score. The main man we need to talk about, though, is Craig Reynolds. This slipped between the cracks of the underdog football show. Apparently, Adam Schefter pops into Fantasy Football Now on ESPN2 and says, I have so much conviction about Craig Reynolds in week 14 at running back for the Lions as I did with Eli Mitchell in week one for the San Francisco 49ers. And so from Cootstown, Craig Reynolds goes 11 carries for 83 yards. It started off great. It disappeared because this game got completely out of hand. But this name, basically a generated player, had no clue who he was until this week. He wears number 46 from Cootstown, Craig Williams. I I think life is a simulation, like goodness gracious. Had a 35-yard run that made up 83 yards. Uh, only thing I knew about Kutztown is there was one offensive guard prospect at the Senior Bowl a couple years ago. His name escapes me. And then I drive by it every single time I drive from New York down to North Carolina. It's on 81, with, I believe. With your plain Chick-fil-A nuggets with a diet yeah. lemonade? Goodness. Yes. 30 nugs. All right. Who else do we need to cover here? We have the Cleveland Browns at 16. They are able to topple the Baltimore Ravens 24 to 22 tight game, but Tyler Huntley. Yes. Tyler Huntley was able to get back Baltimore here. 27 of 38. He was, let's focus on the Browns 22 of 32 for Baker Mayfield. What did 32 attempts for Baker Mayfield get you 190 yards, two scores and an interception. We also saw Kareem hunt once again, leave this game. So that gave us 17 carries for 59 yards. I didn't learn much from this game that I vaguely followed here. I know you had a closer look on the Browns. What should I know about the Browns here today? Big thing for fantasy, Kareem Hunt leaves early. He came back. It was an ankle injury, I believe. He comes back on the sideline with his helmet but never returns. Ernest Johnson basically goes in to the exact role. Nick Chubb has 17 carries, uh, three receptions, but doesn't get into the end zone. That was Jarvis Landry near the goal line. Um, and Austin Hooper, who had a couple opportunities for multiple scores, ends up 
coming and, and paying off as a tight end two streamer. Uh, so you didn't learn a whole bunch because like, quite frankly, this game was pretty much over. I know that the Ravens fought back, but going into halftime, it was 24 to six and it felt very comfortable because Lamar Jackson leaves early and doesn't return. So, uh, I have a decent amount of faith in this Browns defense. I'd like to see this offense be in a situation where they're like forced into being a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. They dinked and dunked their way through this and the Ravens defense just so injured. I think the Browns defense is always going to leave us wanting more this season. Like they have to do a pretty hard reset at wide receiver and maybe even quarterback this offseason if that's even possible because you can't get much better as a running back pair than Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And then it felt like this year there were points when that was an incredible thing to possess. But then when you start dealing with offensive line issues and your quarterback can't stretch the field at all, then it becomes more and more and more obvious. It doesn't seem to be quite the magic that we've seen all year long. And I just don't think that this is fixable from here on out. So their defense has to transform into like a top five unit for them to have any hope if they are able to reach the playoffs for me. Yeah, they're they're a team that's probably going to be in the wild card mix, but probably get bounced immediately. Uh, For the Ravens, Tyler Huntley came in there and he had a couple really sick scrambles where he kind of looked like, Lamar Jackson, um, he was playing a, against a lot of just prevent defense. Mark Andrews absolutely erupted again, mostly in the second half, over 100 yards for him. The big story outside of the Lamar Jackson ankle injury was Sammy Watkins leaves early and in comes Rashad Bateman into a full-time role this time. He didn't have it to start the game. To be fair, that was it was the same rotation to start. Once Sammy leaves, he becomes a full-time player keeps making just contested catches downfield one-on-one scenarios. He got tackled at the one yard line or otherwise he would have had an even bigger game, but seven for 103 and eight looked the part. I do not understand why this team keeps rotating him in. He's clearly a full-time player. So that was good to see. makes no sense why he's not playing, why an injury has to happen for him to be on the field. He did nothing wrong once emerging from that core injury he had during training camp. He was moving the chains. He was playing his role. And I do not understand why the likes of Devin Duvernay and namely Sammy Watkins were preventing him from there. Because it's not like Sammy Watkins, even in the moments that he got to shine, were making the same plays as Rashad Bateman. So this is now another task for this coaching staff of, hey, because of injury, now this rookie that you spent a first-round pick on that you and I crowned as a player that could change their passing game. He changed it today, and it wasn't even with your starting quarterback. This team has been begging for a lightning piece like this, and Bateman brought it to you. He brought it to you against a Browns defense that is quite talented. And so pairing him with Mark Andrews for the rest of the way could hopefully keep the Ravens in that wildcard contention. Because again, and who knows how much of this ankle issue that he was carved off the field, Lamar Jackson, it's going to keep him out of any games. There is time if they went out to make the playoffs, to be here, to be relevant, despite of all the injuries. I'm not saying they're good. They'll make noise, but at least make the playoffs. And Rashad Bateman should, should be a very key piece in that. Yeah, I want to go over a decision that's going to be talked about for a long time tomorrow about two-point conversions. Do you have the clip? Is that what you're going to say? 
Here we go. It's a standard uh, kind of really not a non-decision. You do it at that point in time because you're going to have to you're going to have to get win a two-point conversion. So you understand if you get it or don't get it early where you're at going from there, how many possessions you're going to need, and what you're going to have to do. If you wait till the last two-point conversion and you don't get it, the game's over. You've lost. So you go, you try it early. We're in a seven-point game. We know where we stand. Uh, we don't get it. We're in a nine-point game, and we know that we need two possessions. So to me, this isn't even analytics. This is like game theory. It's not even like about the numbers. This is simply wanting more information earlier. It's as simple as that. Like all they want to do is they go for the two-point conversion down nine because they know eventually they're going to have to go for this two-point conversion. So why you're only delaying the game for hope? Like the the big disagreement with fans is they want to hold on to the hope. Maybe we'll have a chance to win later, and they like that feeling. But feelings don't get you Ws in the freaking NFL. You go for two earlier, so at least you have an idea. Oh, if if there's like the two minute warning and they have the ball, and you yeah. know that you've already gotten the the two point conversion, then you can run out the clock and go for that touchdown and prevent the other team from having the ball. So this is just like a it's so nonsense. Like the CBS boomers, they tilted me today. Like they kept talking about this. You had like freaking Cower and Boomer Esiason, like literally perfectly named for him. They, they're refusing to understand this. This is not that complicated. Like in any capacity in life, you want information as soon as you can get it. And going for two in that situation was like clearly the right move. A couple of wrinkles here. And it's not just the CBS people, the NBC people, all of it. And so much of it is former coaches or, or former players. And I think from their perspective, their pushback comes from, well, if you then go and score the second touchdown and then you go for two, you have more momentum. There's a better feeling for the sideline and more confidence on the field because you do have that hope and maybe that. But what you're saying is exactly correct. You would much rather know earlier than later because if it's later and it's 15 seconds left, then you're drawing dead. But then if you know on that final drive when there's, I don't know, three and a half minutes left, then you know you have to get a touchdown and then get the onside kick back and then a field goal. And the other layer on top of this that is you know, maybe not as big of a piece is let's say you get the two the first time. Then you go and get ready for an extra point or when you score the touchdown, there's a roughing the passer penalty. You can get the ball at the one-yard line and go for two a second time for the win. So the outcomes to win the game are even higher after you get the two-point conversion on the first time as well because you never know what happens. We see it almost every single week. A team going for two when they were playing to go for one just based on a penalty that was called prior to it. Yeah, that's another good point. It just comes down to everyone that's bitching and moaning about this, they just like the suspense of not knowing the outcome of the game longer. And suspense doesn't get you wins. Like that hope of holding on, it doesn't matter. Like, Coaches are trying to win the game. You as the fan, I'm sorry. You If if the two-point conversion fails early on, you know your team's going to lose. You lose out on those 15 minutes of hope. I'm sorry, but like we're trying to win football games. So uh, doubting Harbaugh is like one of the most EV, minus EV things you can do. Like when Harbaugh saying one thing, believe it. He's also a coach that previously goes for it getting his he believes in momentum he believes in confidence like he yells at Lamar Jackson hey man you want to go for this and I'm sure he's already decided he is but I I you can't be a coach at that level a Super Bowl winner and also not understand man management like trust me he gets it that's a factor in his head too but he also knows that by every single book this is the right approach to it and it gives you 
much better outcomes to win in the end versus as what you're alluding to, Hayden, the, the ungraspable feeling of, oh, there's still a possibility out there if we just go for one. And then, yeah. then maybe we have an eight-point play in our back pocket. The last thing I have to say this is nothing tilts me more when information is right there for people, but their ego refuses them to admit that they were wrong. And that's what's going to happen with these CBS guys and like everybody else up there. They know that they're wrong, but they're going to keep saying this to like, so they'll never have to admit that they're wrong. Like if you listen to that one Harbaugh statement, I don't know how you can argue against this. So like I always, when I rank the Raiders too high, I'll take my L I'm going to rank them down much further than that. Like when you get new information, you got to adjust people. Come on. How many coaches across the league do you think are handling this appropriately? Like I'm sure that if you wanted to dive into it, not everyone has had the opportunity to, but do you think a third know this correctly? No, not that Less high. Than that. Less yeah. Than that. Yeah. Interesting. He's the, he's the one that consistently does this correctly every single time. Right. So. All right. Seattle Seahawks. We have them at 22 after the Pittsburgh Steelers at 21, as we pointed out. They dominate the Houston Texans today, 33 to 13. We asked the question heading in to week 14, is the Seahawks offense back? Well, Tyra Lockett, five receptions, 142 yards and a score. And DK Metcalf is still left by his lonesome with just four receptions and 43 yards on eight targets. I haven't watched this game. I did see a clip of DK Metcalf running a slant in the end zone that was thrown behind him. And then I know there was a touchdown that got called back for a holding. So I'm sure he was close to a big game, but close to big games don't help you in actual fantasy points. Uh, at least the offense was moving the ball. Tyler Lockett, huge game. Obviously, the big storyline here is Rashad Penny gets the start. We had a report that this was going to be the case, that he was ahead of Alex Collins. He blows up for 137 rushing yards, two touchdowns, had a couple of big time runs. Uh, I think he even uh, caught a, a single yarder. pass for you too. So yeah, Rashad Penny is officially back in our lives with Chris Carson out for the year. Um, as long as he's healthy, then I think that we should be kind of putting him into that boom bust RB2 mix. Somehow the Seattle Seahawks are still factors in this playoff race, despite being five and eight. I mean, they need a bunch of teams to lose and they obviously need to win out the rest of the way, but it's not just like, the rest of this season that Russell Wilson is playing for. It's also, you know, how much compensation is a team going to have to pay for him? I think too is, is going to be impacted by his play the rest of the way. All right. Houston Texans. We have them as our worst team at 32. There's nothing to take from this. I understand Davis Mills started this game like 10 for 10. He finished 33 of 49 for 331 yards. That speaks more to just how poor this Seattle defense is and how he was just able to complete, complete, complete. But maybe, just maybe, we could get a final season surge for Nico Collins, who had 10 targets, five receptions, and 69 yards, who then piques people interest heading into 2022, and maybe an under-the-radar sophomores and juniors player to keep in mind. Definitely. I don't even think for, for the rest of this year, if you're in a league and you're looking for a bench hold, I think that he's perfectly in the mix. I wanted to play host for a second and ask you a question. Okay. Why is Davis Mills in as bad of a supporting cast as the Jets and the Jaguars? Why is he outperforming Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence? Like, what what is going on here? 
let me I'm mostly joking. watch this game and then I'll get back to you. I don't know if it's as bad because I believe it's the same OC, is it not? Tim Kelly, who was previously yeah. there too. And Tim Kelly might just be, because look what he did with Deshaun Watson, you know? He might just be in a better, and what Tyrod did at points this year. It might not be as bad as other people. Laramie Tunsil isn't even playing though. Like this offensive line is a disaster. It is, it is something is weird. I believe they've moved Titus Howard, who was a shock first round pick a couple of years ago. They moved him back to tackle after failure after failure at guard. And so that's helping a little bit, but yeah, it's, uh, it's something to monitor. Maybe I'll dive in if I have time. He probably right. sucks. Atlanta Falcons, we have a 24. They beat up on the Panthers here today, 29 to 21. And it wasn't really anything that they did offensively. It was a pick six that they got on Cam Newton. It was some advantageous plays outside of that, an interception on P.J. Walker. Matt Ryan finished the day with just 28 attempts, 190 yards and a score. Cordero Patterson gets 16 carries for 58 yards and a score. And what tilts me to no end, the over-under pick-up line for Kyle Pitts was 55 and a half receiving yards. About the second or third final play of the game, Jermaine Carter falls over another defensive player. Kyle Pitts is left out there in the left flats on a third and 13 and converts it on a long game. And so Kyle Pitts loses me, my pick five, on that singular play. They handled him very different in this game, Hayden. It wasn't Stephon Gilmore on him at all. Stephon Gilmore was playing a normal corner spot. And said they tried to just lock up Kyle Pitts and it lost me $200. That's what you get for betting against the post by rookie bump. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, come on. It was a great, it was a great play. It just didn't work out. Matt Ryan also, they, what they did with, they went up to CJ Henderson today. There's like a double move from Russell Gage. There's a double move from Tajay Sharp. And Matt Ryan had Tajay Sharp on a wide open touchdown and severely, severely underthrew them. I know the Falcons are six and seven. There's really nothing to get too excited about. Mike Davis, decent day, but something like the Panthers, if they didn't turn the football over and they were just poor management all around on how they handled their roster, they really should have won this game because the Panthers' defensive line, at least in the first half, was really flying around and beating up on the Falcons' offensive line. What are we supposed to do with Cam Newton for fantasy next week? Yeah, I mean, we have the Panthers at 26. It doesn't really matter. Uh, not to call out the accounts on Twitter. A lot of them freaked out when Cam was taken out of the four-minute offense at the end of the first half. Matt Rule said heading into this game that he wanted to get P.J. Walker involved. Granted, he had said that before and had kept Cam Newton in the ballgame. But then Cam was not benched. He was pulled in that moment because I guess they thought P.J. was a better four-minute offense quarterback. And then P.J. goes out there and throws an interception. The pick six was really bad. It was an angle route from Amir Abdullah on one side. And Dean Peace just gamed Cam into throwing this pick six to the linebacker because he put him all the way on outside the left tackle. And as soon as the play starts, drags him over as like a middle of the field player. And you can see Cam's eyes widening and widening because Abdullah's open for the first down and then throws it directly at the linebacker. So this offense changed a little bit based on the you know, switching offensive coordinator. It was in many ways, if a power quarterback was running Miami's offense with Tua, a lot of RPOs, a lot of speed outs that helped DJ Moore had two catches in the opening three game, three drives, or excuse me, three plays. I should say Robbie Anderson get a bit more involved, but then 
when that is stopped, when that is stuffed, and then just mistakes overall. Um, I do think Cam starts to rest the way Hayden to answer your question, and he got you know a rushing score by because he bowled over a Falcons team. But you're 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 playing a quarterback attached to a bad offense. I'd much rather play Taysom Hill the rest of the way than I would you know Cam Newton. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a boom bust quarterback too. He can have quarterback one weeks, but he can also get pulled halfway through the game. So uh, was the Chuba Hubbard, Amir Abdullah, the same exact situation? Chuba, the the grinder, Amir Abdullah passing down back. It's as simple no, as that. I mean, it was kind of back and forth. I mean, Chuba had a 17-yard walk-in touchdown that he was barely even touched. And Amir Abdullah, like, rotated in a bit more. They just didn't run him when he was in. But obviously, he got, you know, far more targets at four. And and Chuba got nothing. There, it, it's It's not a Rashad Penny situation. It's not a Deontay Foreman situation here where we're like, oh, this is the clear backup. They're still going to rotate back and forth. It's just such a miserable offense. Such a miserable team to watch right now. Bad Might be the worst offensive line in football right now. It's so bad. Just bad football. Uh, Okay. We've hit on everyone, and I missed this one, except for the Jets and except for the New Orleans Saints. We have the Saints up at 19. I mean, they blow out the Jets 30 to 9. Taysom Hill helped everyone hopefully get into the playoffs. 73 rushing yards and two scores, including a 44-yarder where the game was already in hand, where Alvin Kamara told his dumbass friend Taysom Hill to take a slide, and he did not, and instead also adds 175 yards in the air. Was this the first BYU versus BYU quarterback game? Like, it, I mean, there can't be too many of them, right? With Zach Wilson... Uh, people called him the Mormon Mahomes, as our Nick Rubman put it. The Mormon Manziel might be a, a more apt comparison here for for Zach Wilson. Yeah, I mean, at least we get Alvin back. Alvin got 27 carries for 120 yards and a score. It's great. It's great to see our our friend back on the field. So I don't know if there's anything else to say from this game. Yeah, uh, just quick Jets notes. Ty Johnson got most of the work until late, um, and he had seven targets. I think he had three drops in the first quarter, so you don't love to see that. Jameson Crowder played almost every single snap, only got six targets, though, only had 19 yards. So um, maybe this is a team that you can't start anybody from them. I think the Jaguars are officially one of those teams where you can't start a single one of their players. Yeah, I think that the Jets now are probably in the same boat. Yeah, with, with Elijah Moore and IR, Michael Carter not playing, we're at that point. We're at that point. All right, everyone. That was a long show after a long Sunday. We'll be back here on Tuesday after we watch all the games, after Hayden goes through all the data and gets you some really important information ahead of your first round of your fantasy playoffs. As always, go and check out Playoff Best Ball 2022 Best Ball. We'll try to put up some streams here this week as well. All right. For Hayden, I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Up the bill. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.